Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. A lot of us might say we want to be writers. The trick is doing it sustainably and in a way that can help sustain us. John Dykstra has managed to turn his desire to write into a career running profitable niche authority websites that serve the needs of people who share his own interests. He also blogs and teaches on the side, helping others who might want to follow in his footsteps. In this episode, John will tell us how he was originally inspired by exposure to early blogging platforms while working as a lawyer, how he developed and adapted his process as the industry grew and changed around him, and how being true to his own interests keeps him motivated as he works with a team of writers and editors to build and run his publications. So today I'm speaking with John Dykstra, and John is a specialist in niche authority sites. And I think the most important question everybody has for you is, is it niche or is it niche? <laughs> I say niche. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. When you tell people what you work on, how do you describe what you do? Sure. Well, first, thanks a lot for having me on the show. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Really what I do is... What attracted me most to starting an online business was content. I've I've always enjoyed writing. It was just something I like doing. And particularly I like writing nonfiction, but I didn't really want to like enter the whole journalist or freelance writing arena. So the idea of owning a niche website and being able to build it into a business that really appealed to me. You could pick any and I just like the idea I could pick any topic I wanted to. I used to think back you know, in the early 90s or mid 90s, how cool it would be to publish like a, a nonfiction book on a, on a topic I really enjoyed. And, you know, that was kind of really before I was really even on the internet at all. And then when, you know, the internet started hitting critical mass in the early 2000s, mid to that, like 2005, 2006. And, um, you know, I was on it and stuff. It's like, I learned about the concept of niche websites and that you can make a living with ads and affiliate promotions and even e-commerce stores and so forth. And it was just, to me, it was like the, the, the perfect business model that really appealed to me just because I just, I, I like the idea of an information type business. You know what? I really love the concept of organic traffic. I, I love the fact that over time, with good content and building up an audience, you can have this free traffic, which equals passive revenue. And that's really exciting for me. It seems like that's also what you enjoy writing about. Yeah, yeah. And the Fatstacks blog or Fatstacks Entrepreneur website, really, I do that. Just it's fun. I've met a lot of great people. Readership is growing. I, I just like sharing what I'm doing with regular niche websites. It's that's essentially what I do. You know, some weeks I'll publish two or three posts. Some weeks none. Just if, whether I have something new to report on, I'll put it out there. And that makes sense because you're really driving your content based on what's going to add value for your audience. Yeah, essentially, 
I'm always experimenting with my niche sites, trying new stuff. I'm always, I'm an optimist, really, actually, <laughs> to almost too much so. And uh, I, I get an idea and I think, oh, this is going to be just fantastic. And a lot of my ideas don't work. But anyways, I'm always trying new things, especially with social media, content concepts and stuff like that. And stuff that works or doesn't work at all, you know, I try to write about it on the fatstacksblog.com just to, you know, share share what's going. I try to focus more on what's working than, you know, have a laundry list of stuff that never worked. Well, that stuff that never worked is also interesting to folks, I think. Yeah, yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> that's true. I, I, I should maybe, you know, have a few posts on there, a bunch of disasters I've wasted umpteen hours on over the years. I'm tempted to ask you, what was your worst disaster? Worst disaster? I would say uh, Google Penguin is still, you know, it's right up there with disaster, completely out of my hands. And that was when, when Google changed their algorithm. Yeah, that was uh, April 2012, I believe. Yeah, I don't remember a lot of dates, but I remember that one. So many of us were doing the whole SEO, and it was really easy up until that point. And if you're if you're trying to rank websites, it was relatively easy. And my mistake was, and this was really before social media really took off. So social media, you could get some traffic from it, just wasn't as viable or consistent as it is these days or as diverse. I mean, now we've got Facebook, Pinterest. Twitter, Google Plus isn't so huge, but really those other ones, I mean, they're so big and so popular that you can literally drive enough traffic to really build a niche business just with that alone. But, you know, before Google Penguin happened, organic search was really the be all and end all when it came to passive free traffic. The alternative was to buy traffic. And even then, you didn't really have a whole lot of Facebook ads. You didn't have the options you do today. You didn't have native advertising. I mean, it was Google was Google was it. So when Penguin came, you know, that I think impacted a lot, a lot of website publishers, me included. I think in some ways that might have driven the importance of social media for a lot of us. You know, I think that's a really good point because I know after Google Penguin happened, I completely shifted gears. I never wanted that to happen again. I, I still love organic search. I still love SEO, but, you know, I don't want to be 100% dependent on it. Of course, the traffic's terrific. It's still the best passive source of traffic out there, at least for my niche sites. But right now, it's I think it makes up about 50% of my overall traffic, which is probably still quite a bit. But, you know, at least 50% of my traffic is from other sources that I can somewhat control, which is really good. Much better, much better position than I was in before Penguin. One of the things I've noticed in your writings, you talk about how having in yourself invested in multiple strategies of generating traffic is really buffering against the possibility that one's not going to work sometimes and one's not going to work other times. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you have your ups and downs with all traffic sources. You know, we're going to come into summertime and I think organic search is going to drop a little bit. That's fine. That's happened for me, at least in the niche that I'm in. Social media, you know, you're going to have your ups and downs. Social media is a, more of the ups and downs almost on a post-by-post basis. Really, some are work tremendously well, and then you could have, you know, four or five in a row that don't really drive a whole lot of traffic. You know, just keep putting it out there, keep trying, keep experimenting, and, you know, slowly build the overall aggregate traffic amounts to your sites. When paid is working, again, ups and downs, that doesn't always work. I've, I've done a lot of paid traffic to niche websites, and when it's working, it's tremendous. I mean, you could send so much traffic so, so quickly. But, you know, when it doesn't work, you basically have to shut off your campaigns and pursue the, the free traffic sources. I think paid traffic is a dangerous area for a lot of people, especially when they're just starting out because they don't really know the value of the traffic to their site yet. Well, yeah, it's sort of like a chicken and an egg 
syndrome because, I mean, you're not going to know the value of your traffic until you send it there. And I can tell you that paid traffic is going to have a different value or a different revenue per thousand visits than organic. Every source of traffic is going to generate a different RPM if you use in display ads and, and very likely if you promote as an affiliate or if you sell stuff. I mean, every traffic source is unique in that matter. So the thing is, I mean, you're going to just have to invest money into paid to, to figure out what your actual RPM is depending on how you're monetizing it. Track it, figure it out. And then you know what you can actually pay per single visitor or per thousand visitors. Now, there are so many different ways to get paid traffic these days. I'm curious where you focus your attention when you're thinking about that. Well, for paid, my focus is Facebook. I'm not doing as much as I did a year ago because I'm really focusing more on building up more and more passive. Interestingly, I'm finding that Pinterest, which takes a really long time to build up, at least it has for me. Pinterest is something really new to me about 18 months ago. But it's turning into be a terrific passive source of traffic, much better than Facebook. I think if you're really good at Facebook, you can drive more traffic with Facebook. But I'm finding that Pinterest is actually passive. But in terms of paid, Facebook has always, Facebook ads have been the best for me. I've definitely invested quite a bit into some native, which Outbrain has always been my preferred native paid traffic source. But overall, I focus on Facebook. I I love so many of the offerings they have. I mean, the number of types of ads that you can test and experiment with is really terrific. And and some are going to work better for others. So it's a a bit of trial and error with Facebook. A lot of people think of Facebook, they think about their personal network. And are you using it with your personal network or strictly with professional network? Or do you cross the two? Oh, very separate. In fact, I'm not don't deal with Facebook on a personal profile much at all. No, I have separate business pages for my niche sites and really operate exclusively in those. There's there's no crossover. Not even really with fat stacks. I don't really combine. I get lots of friend requests and so forth, but I really keep my fat stacks Facebook pages separate from my personal Facebook profile. It's interesting. We're, we're talking around what you're doing rather than about what you're doing. We're, yeah, we're not going to talk specifically about the sites that you're generating traffic for. But it seems when you got into this, you were interested in writing nonfiction, and that was what really attracted you to it. And what's happened is you've become an expert in all of these meta issues around how to generate traffic and how to monetize these sites. I'm curious about how that transition happened. Well, the transition happened out of necessity, because (laughs) if you want to make a niche website work as a business then you need the traffic. And so you you have to hustle. You have to figure it out. You got to go after it. And so, you know, I was just so keen to make being a niche website publisher work for me, like so motivated to do it that I would, you know, I've, I've spent endless hours testing and reading and studying how to go out and get traffic. Fortunately, I actually like the whole process. You know, I'm not one who I just want to write or be an editor and be the content side of things exclusively. I really enjoy the whole marketing side of it too. So so that's fortuitous and that's probably helped me build up some successful websites. I suspect if I hated the whole social media and the analytics and testing paid traffic or the whole real technical aspects of SEO, you know, if you if you hate all that stuff, it might be a little bit difficult to ramp up a niche website to get traffic levels enough to make a living or earn some good revenue. Unless you, you know, maybe have a partner or join with somebody who can take care of the whole marketing side and you can focus on the content side. Now, that's a good point. It's it's fair warning out there to people who, who might be interested solely in the content side of it, that there's a lot more to it than just generating good content. Yeah, there is. I found, you know, you want to talk about a hacking process to really speed up your niche website growth. For me, it was being able to do paid traffic. 
I'm convinced that really expanded my brand for one of my niche sites particularly very quickly. So paid traffic really worked well. But, you know, the thing is with paid, it's not going to work in every niche, unfortunately. It's just it's just not. It, it's very sort of, I don't want to say risky because you don't have to, like, you can spend only $5 and turn it off. So it's not really risky, but you just don't really know whether it's going to work or not. And, you know, if it doesn't work, you're going to have to figure out another way to really try to get on the map and start building traffic as quickly as possible. Hustling, collaborating with other successful websites if possible. It's not easy, but, you know, I still think SEO is a really viable way to build up passive traffic quickly. you got to be smart about it, though. you gotta got to be good at being able to go and get really high-quality links and target keywords or phrases that you can rank for reasonably quickly and then sort of just build it up organically from there. I mean, I've read accounts of people getting to half a million to a million organic search visitors per month inside of a year you know depending on the niche that amount of traffic can generate a a pretty good living absolutely so when you were getting started learning all of these things i'm curious where did you look and how how did you find the resources that you needed as somebody who was new to this and actually it was being invented around you as it was happening other bloggers really other bloggers in the space some are still you know still blogging away on various topics others have left forums just you know reading a lot and then doing it really doing something and checking results and trying again. I think with social media is really cool because it's almost instant gratification. You find out if something works almost immediately, which is really interesting because SEO is on the opposite end of the spectrum. You don't know what's going to work for months because SEO takes months for anything to really work well. So that's what's great about social media is you get immediate results. Same with paid, but it's just a matter of reading what other people are doing. Fortunate now, I, I know a number of colleagues and other decently sized publishers in a variety of niches. And, you know, now we, we Skype and keep in touch and share ideas and so forth. But really just reading what other people are doing. But there's no shortage of the how to become a successful website publisher type blogs out there. There's, there's plenty of them. That's true. Although the, the quality varies considerably. My litmus test is... If I'm going to read somebody who's telling me how I can build up a great niche website or do Facebook marketing or do anything that is part of what my entire business model involves, they got to show me that they're able to do it independently of their blog that's showing me how to do this, right? If that's their only website and that's where they you know, make their living is teaching people how to do this stuff, they might have some good ideas, but it's really not as convincing as somebody who's out there who's you know, got other independent websites and that that's what they're doing, that's what they're publishing, and then they discuss it on their other blog that I'm reading. That's a very good point, because a lot of it can almost feel like a pyramid scheme, where you're building up more people in the same niche, and that niche is just about trying to bring more people into that same niche. Yeah, a little bit. I, yeah, that's, that's one way to look at it. You know, somebody's going to have the best results and be able to share the best information based on actual experience. And I can tell you this. I mean, I'm not saying that somebody who only publishes a blog about how to become a blogger, that all their ideas are going to be bad or that they can't actually tell you anything that works. I mean, certainly they could. But you have to think about, like, the how to be a blogger type website or niche is quite a bit different than most of the other niches out there, like your usual kind of consumer magazine niches, you know, like fashion or travel and all that, right? I mean, it's quite a bit of a different audience because the how to become a blogger niche is really an entrepreneur blog or a B2B type website, which is quite a bit different than serving, you know, the broader consumer lifestyle type 
niche websites that are far more abundance and, and much bigger traffic and so forth. So i just keep that in mind. So like, you know, a really good example is for that, how to become a blogger type niches. Twitter is very useful because the audience is on Twitter and Twitter is, serves a business community and entrepreneur community. But Twitter is not going to be really that effective in a lot of the broader consumer niches. Like I don't even, I mean, I use Twitter, but I mean, I just post to it from with like deliberate really when I publish a new post, it goes to Twitter. It doesn't really do anything like traffic wise. I know that sites like Pinterest, for example, are very big with consumer products. Oh, absolutely. Pinterest is wonderful. I, I'm loving Pinterest more and more, and I'm doing more and more with Pinterest uh, every month lately. And the primary reason for that is, is I'm noticing it's it's got more of a passive element than Facebook. And for me, you know, to be able to tap into a passive source of traffic is the best. I, I'd rather have less traffic, but that it be passive than, you know, more traffic, but I have to like hustle and post every hour for. I mean, if, if, if I stopped and ignored a site for two years, I'm sure the traffic levels would be much less than they are now. But to be able to maybe devote less time to it or take a couple of weeks or a month, month and a half away from it, like I was able to take two months off last year last summer and I didn't touch anything and really traffic, organic traffic didn't really change much and it generated revenue the whole two months. Facebook traffic, well, I think I had somebody posting on Facebook, so that remained relatively steady. I wasn't overseeing things, but, you know, that's the point, right? You can take two months and you're going to keep generating traffic, which means you keep generating revenue. I mean, you, you are going to see it dip eventually, but that that's what I mean by passive. This brings us back actually to content, which is where you started. I and mean, you started by having an interest in being a writer and writing about these things yourself. And I know that on your Fact Stacks blog, I believe you do most of the writing yourself, right? Well, for that one, yes. I, I write everything there. It's almost like a personal business type website, so I don't outsource any of that. The other content sites is a mix. I've actually been more hands-on the last couple of months, which I've enjoyed, actually. It's been pretty labor-intensive, but I have always have writers involved. I've, I'm always got people writing the content. You know, I provide the topics. I may even provide outlines for some of the longer content, but, you know, I've got a lot of writers involved. I'm, my goal is to publish two to three fairly extensive pieces of content per day per website. So to maintain that type of publishing schedule really requires uh, help with that. Oh, absolutely. And you, you basically have to build up the skills of a managing editor for that. Yeah, pretty much. But I'm a pretty small operation in terms of the number of people involved. And so, you know, I, I got flexibility to be able to, if I want to bump something to the front of the line, I can choose to do that. I don't really have this rigid sort of publishing schedule that I think a lot of larger organizations have, you know, that I've dealt with. And they'll say, well, we're looking at the next slot is September 2016. You're sort of like, okay, well, that's fine. For me, it's sort of like, okay, I really like that piece of content. I want to get it out there. It's, you know, it's summer, it's timely. Let's boom, I can move it up to this afternoon if I want to. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I am overseeing a number of, you know, I always have maybe 30, 40 pieces of content in the pipeline at various stages of being completed. And I always like to have a good 15 to 20 completed in the unpublished inventory, just, you know, so that I have a handful to choose from at any given point. It's always good to have that backlog. It is. <laughs> it's very hard to manage that much content. Do you work directly with the writers? Do you have somebody who works who works with them for you. I'm curious how you how you organize that process. 
Well, unfortunately, I'm using a service that actually works in the back end of the website itself. So, you know, it's just a matter of putting together a system. So that there's me, there's an editor, and then there's a series of writers that all participate. So the writers write in the back end of my site, and then the editors will review their work. And then once they're content, it gets sent to me to be, you know, as a, as a pending to be published. And then eventually I'll get to it. And I just comb through the ones that are ready to publish and just kind of cherry pick day to day. I, you know, I have a general idea. I like to publish different types of content each day. So there's a variety and, and that's it. So it's a pretty simple process. We've got little signals that we use in the back end to communicate, you know, okay, here's, here's new content for you or when something's done, when, when something's ready to be published, but it's, it's pretty simple. Was this something that you had custom built for yourself? Oh no, I just provide author access to a team of people. It was working with a with a service that you know one of the requirements I wanted was that they're going to be able to work in the back end. Like I do use the traditional writing agencies or writing services. What you do, I mean, there's tons of them, right? There's their text broker, writeraccess.com, iWriter. I mean, every, everybody's familiar with these, and I'm sure have tried them. But you, but you place your order. And then they send it back, it's completed, but it's in their system. And then what you need to do is you need to copy, paste it, and then format it into your website. Well, the thing that frustrated me about that is the formatting alone is a lot of time. Like you got to hire a whole separate person just to sit there and format. And my websites, I like to use a lot of images. They're really image-centric. They're the content as much as the text. And so when you have a bunch of images already uploaded into a post and then trying to fit in the text, you know, before and after in each image and all that, that's really tedious. That'll take longer almost sometimes than to write the content. So the traditional writing services, with some exceptions, doesn't really work for me. So what I needed was a service that will actually work in the back end of my sites. We get the images put in there first and then, you know, provide instructions as to what the, how to structure this article, what it's about, and so forth. When you say you're providing author access, are, you, are we talking WordPress? Are we talking... Yeah. Yeah, WordPress. Yeah. Do you have uh, like custom themes? I assume that you're that you're using that present the things the way that you want them. No, uh, I use a theme out of the box. I've, I've never been one to customize anything really. With WordPress, you can just take somebody's email and give them author access, which means you know all, all you have to do is assign a draft post to their username, and they can see it. They can't publish it. They can just write and you know send it back to me for review before publishing. That's impressive. You're you're doing a great deal of business with just stock WordPress. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I don't know how many people I talk to or have heard, you know, they invest thousands into a custom website design. And a lot of people say, well, it's really important you get a custom design so you look professional and all that. And I mean, that's fine if you're making 20 grand a month and you want to invest some money in a custom design. I get that. But, you know, to spend more than a premium theme of 50 or 100 bucks when you're launching a website, it's just not necessary. I still use websites out of the box. I might do a few tweaks, but nothing design-wise. I mean, I mean the themes these days are literally tens of thousands to choose from. Many just look fantastic. Nobody really cares. I mean, I, I actually look for more minimalist type of themes. You know, a lot of white space, nothing really fancy. So it doesn't really matter. There's just no need for a custom design. And I know that a lot of the content that you publish, it, it's got a very strong visual component as well. And that can sometimes be very difficult to manage. Yes, uh, probably a big chunk of my time is into image acquisition to be able to use them legally with permission or a license. And that's a good chunk of my time. Time. It is a bit tedious, but because I have a really image-centric 
website, actually two of them. Images really are a big part of it. That's my job is to get permission and licenses to use images that are going to drive the content. But I love publishing image-centric websites just because, well, I mean, they really work on social media. It makes social media quite easy, actually. Is it hard to find writers who can write to images that, that way? No, no, that's, that's actually, it, it's almost easier to write. It kind of, I mean, it depends what you're doing, right? Like if you're doing a really intense research piece or getting an infographic put together, obviously you're going to want to pay a lot more for that than, you know, if you're doing more of a simple gallery with just basic descriptions of the images that needs a much less caliber of a writer. Really depends on the piece that you're doing. I guess I could see that, especially if you've already chosen the images. Yeah, exactly. I, I get the images myself generally. I mean, I've got agreements and arrangements with a lot of websites that we've worked with over the years. And that makes it a lot easier than when I was starting out and getting permission to use people's images and offering attribution. But now that I've got these partnerships and arrangements in place, I generally really do have almost an unlimited number of really terrific images within my niches that I can use. It seems like having that network in place has really been critical to be sure that the business can really keep thriving and growing. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's been really important. And, you know, I know, I know a lot of websites won't seek permission or get a license to use images. And I'm not really going to comment on that, whether that's good or bad. It's not my place to say. It's uh, my decision has been to get the permission or license to use images, provide the attribution that they would like to have and go that way. But Yes, at first it made it a lot harder, actually, and was more costly because the amount of time spent contacting webmasters and so forth was expensive. But now that those arrangements are in place, it's fairly easy because I have huge pools, literally hundreds of thousands of images that they trust that I'm going to give proper attribution. They know that we've got a large enough audience that it's worth it for them. They're going to get a good amount of traffic and exposure and so forth. So. And vice versa. I would think that uh, making sure you have that relationship means that they're more likely to link back to you. Probably. I probably, uh, I never actually looked into link building until not too long ago. And I had a, a friend who's really into link building and he sent me a screenshot. He has an AREFs account, which I've subsequently signed up for because I, I thought it was pretty cool. But he showed me and he's like, wow, you've got lots of links, you know, month after month after month. Just And these are just naturally attained. I didn't really do anything. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, doing outreach has additional benefits. You know, I don't really... Obviously, I've tried some of the whole, hey, why don't you link to me and we'll, you know, have this arrangement, but I haven't done a whole lot of that, really. It's just been establishing relationships with a lot of other big and small websites and professionals and people within the niche industry and so forth. And, you know, I guess the links kind of happen. I think that they do, especially when you're talking about the type of volume that you're working with. Yeah, for now. Yeah. I mean, the link profile is good. It can always be better, but you know, essentially I got a system down really that works and now it's just a matter of rinse and repeat. And I, and I think if you're going to be, that's where you want to get to with a niche website. It's a good position to be in because yes, I experiment with a lot of stuff, usually more tactics than strategies. My strategy is, is set. I, I've got a strategy that works and that's what I do week in, week out. I experiment with tactics to see if I can generate more traffic, but really you want to get in a position where you've got a system in place that is pretty easy to operate with, I mean, obviously you want to be involved, but, you know, with minimal involvement and it just keeps chugging along. Well, since you brought it up, I'm, I'm curious what your routine is like these days. 
Well, basically, you know, what I do every day, I, I kick off every day with the most important task. Like if nothing gets else gets done the rest of the day, that's okay. And the most important task is that I publish minimum one, but ideally two to three pieces of content. So that's first order of business. And because it's already lined up for me in my inventory and I've got to review it and just make, you know, some final tweaks on it and so forth, it doesn't take me that long. It might take half an hour, it might take 45 minutes. But that's first order of business every single day because if nothing else gets done, at least the content is keeps going. And, you know, it may sound kind of weird, like, well, you can skip a day. It's not a big deal. But I don't really like to think like that because for me, it's always been publishing a lot of content has worked for me. And so I'm just sort of like, it's just like ingrained in me. It's like my business is publishing content. I can skip the social media. I can skip outreach and networking and so forth. But if I, as long as I get content published each day, that's really good. That's my business. That's the most important. So I start off doing that. And then really, you know, I lately it's been a lot of social media experimenting, constant outreach, doing that, videos, analyzing numbers, looking at analytics and the various analytics of the social media channels. And that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I think I more or less wrap up that stuff by noon generally. And then the afternoons when I get a little bit tired, I usually try to put a little bit of time into the Fat Stacks website, get some stuff going there. Kind of the afternoon, I might reply to emails and just sort of tie up loose ends of the day. But I get the bulk of the bulk of the work is done before noon. And then what about working with your team? Oh, it's almost on autopilot. We've got system in place. I don't really have to talk to them. That's where you want to get to when you're outsourcing. And I've been fortunate to work with two different services over the couple of years and that's where it's at. I mean, sure, they got the odd question here and there, but really it's, we don't communicate. <laughs> <laughs> the system's in place. I mean, they know what to do. I set, I tee it up for them. I do my part and then they do their part and the workflow just happens, which actually, you know, another part that I do spend in the morning is the image acquisition. I forgot to mention that, you know, the publishing, the content's pretty easy, but a big part, uh, you know, at least an hour to two hours is spent in getting images and planning out the content and lining it up for the writers. That's probably the most labor-intensive work I do. That's, you know, I gotta think about it, I've gotta plan it, I've gotta get the images, put in the attribution, and then tee everything up. And once that's done, the, the heavy lifting for the day is done. Wow, so even with the volume that you're publishing, you're still personally assigning and getting the images for everything that gets posted. Yeah, because I, I like that part of it. It's hard work. I actually outsourced that for a long time, and they, and they did a pretty good job. But there's something that when I'm doing it, as I'm doing it, I might get ideas for new posts, more content going in deeper, or I might totally switch gears and, and try something different. I have to say, I really get a lot of good ideas when I'm actually the one who's really planning the content at that level. It is only an hour, sometimes up to three hours per day. If I do a three hour, I can usually not do it the next day because I've teed up quite a bit. But for, I, I would say, nine, ten months, I almost didn't even really do much with my niche websites. I actually did a lot of work on Fatstacks at that point I, you know, with the course and published a lot more content and so forth just because I had a lot to publish. So I really focused on that and sort of hired a bunch of people to run my niche sites. And then, you know, now Fatstacks is, I mean, it's important to me, but, I, you know, it's the, the course is done. Everything's sort of just going along nicely. So now I'm really back into the niche sites and, you know, I'm ramping up an, another big site as well. And I just find when I'm when I'm involved at that level, I'm able to really come up with some really great pieces of content, maybe because it, they're my sites and, you know, they're more important to me. Um, no complaints with the people who worked on the site. They did a really good job. But yeah, I don't know. It's just fortunately I enjoy it and, it, and I think it helps put out 
just a little bit better content on a weekly basis. It sounds like keeping that level of hands-on involvement also helps with motivation. Yeah, and it, and it helps me know really what's going on. And it actually really helps with social media too because I get a, when I'm dealing with the images and I'm planning out my content, I'm looking at it from, uh, oh, is this, how is, let's get some ideas. How can we plan out some custom images and designs and grids? You know, I use Canva. I use, I think it's pickmonkey.com. I use, obviously, like, well, I use Fireworks, but it's like Photoshop. You know, I'm using these software, and I'm, I'm not the greatest graphic designer, but these tools allow me to make, you know, pretty good-looking stuff for social media. And that's what I'm thinking about when I'm putting this together. And if I, if I didn't actually really get involved at this level, I'm not really thinking about the social media either. So it works really hand-in-hand, hand, and I think it, it's helped me drive more traffic than I would have otherwise. Uh, I want to dive a little bit deeper into the social media aspect of it. What does your social media program look like these days, like those couple of hours that you spend doing that part? Facebook, the organic reach kind of just gets more and more disappointing. I mean, we have some home runs here and there, but I'm sort of like, well, it's almost more work than it's worth. And that's why I'm really excited about Pinterest, because I look at my Pinterest numbers for the last... Oh, six to six to twelve months. Let's say twelve months ago, Pinterest really just started cranking out really, really nicely. But it's more passive, and so now I think I'm really switching gears, just because I I think Pinterest is going to have a much better return on investment of my time over the long run than I think Facebook. I'm still going to post to Facebook, but it's going to probably be in a little bit more in an automated fashion. And not going to put as much care into preparing the posts. And uh, I've done that. And, and it can work. But, you know, it's pretty time-consuming to craft 12 really cool Facebook posts. That's a lot of work every single day. And then you tee them up for the weekends. And then you take a holiday. And you got to tee them up for, you know, two weeks or whatever. Whereas with Pinterest, you know, you can use schedulers. You can use schedulers with Facebook, too. But I find that's just not as effective. But you can use schedulers with Pinterest and they just don't require the sort of care that Facebook does. That said, you can create some really cool pins with like software like Canva and Fireworks or Photoshop and stuff. And they are going to perform better. But, you know, you can just put one or two of those out per day instead of like with Facebook. It's like you've got to do like, you know, 10 or 12 if you really want to crank out the Facebook traffic. What does the rhythm of your, your social media promotion look like for a typical article? Like, is it three posts, five posts over a source of how much time? Well, it depends how many images there are. That's the beauty of the image type website is because every image in a gallery or a post is can be used in social media. So actually I don't I used to track it almost like metho so methodically, but I'm I'm not I don't anymore. Really I might I might post two or three right away from the when I'm publish a post. I'm not gonna let's say I got thirty images in there. I'm not gonna pub I'm not gonna post all thirty of them right away across Facebook and Pinterest. I'm going to space it out, so I might post over the next three months, and then I look and see what does well, and I'll repost and repost sort of thing. Okay, and then so typically some things are promoted immediately after they're published, and then there's a long tail for the promotion as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I used to keep track, okay, we left off this post on this image and so forth. I just can't be bothered. I just eyeball it now, and now I'm just sort of like, you know, I've got thousands of posts with, it must be hundreds of thousands of, no, not hundreds, but definitely 30 40,000 images you know so now it's not that hard to just be able to just post a lot of content that's fresh so i wanted to ask you when you were getting started you talked about reading blog posts i'm curious whether you got any training yourself no i, I didn't do like any formal training or like okay well i got to study this for six months I, I think that's a big mistake i, I talked to lots of people who they spend 
months researching and planning and, and before just doing it. Fortunately, I was just wanted to just, just got going. I mean, my first website with it was, was with a software program of Site Build It because I didn't know how to code. So I needed something. And this is really before WordPress really kind of exploded. And Site Build It wasn't that great. I don't even know if they're around anymore. They're pretty expensive too. But, you know, eventually I found my way to WordPress and, you know, I just did it. They, they weren't very good. Nothing was good that I really started with. But, you know, I didn't spend the six or 12 months sort of planning or thinking or reading about it either. And it's certainly no formal education on it. Okay. I know you came into this, I believe you were you were an attorney before you started doing this, right? Yeah. I really got started with it because, well, I was attorney in, oh, I started at 05 or 06. And then, you know, the, all, all the firms are starting to get websites and we needed a website. And so I got a company to get us a website going and they said, well, you know, it's a good idea. You should, they were quite a progressive company because they actually had software with a blog attached to it. And this is before really like businesses and blogging was was not a big deal. It was really back still with just the basic HTML websites. And anyways, they had a blogging platform that came with it. And uh, they said, you know, it's a good idea. You just blog as a lawyer, you know, write about what's happening in the legal stuff and make it a law blog and relevant to your area that you serve. And so I'm like, well, okay, that's great. I started doing it. I just loved it. I mean, I just, I just thought that was great. And it was very effective. It helped the business really well. And I liked the whole online marketing thing. And from then I just sort of kept going with the blogging. That's interesting because I know one of the things that you talk about is the the value of the global niche versus the really specific niche. And a lot of people talk about focusing in and becoming incredibly specific. I'm curious how you came to the point where you're looking more at the broad niches rather than at the specific ones. Well, yeah, I guess I guess maybe it was a response because when I when I, you know, was doing the the law blogging, it's very specific to a particular type of law for a particular region. So you're very hedged in. Not, there was still plenty to blog about. And then when I, you know, kind of expanded into, started experimenting with niche sites outside of law, I liked the flexibility of being able to write on a variety of topics rather than be hedged into something very specific. But it also goes to, I prefer publishing content. I'm not a terrific email marketer. I'm not really much of a salesperson. I'm not the type where I, you know, I'm selling like info courses or uh, physical products or niche products. I think if you go that route, you definitely want to sort of hone your message and your content to your very specific customer. But that that's not really me. I, I sort of just like the freedom of being able to write on a wide variety of topics that are, you know, still somewhat related. You know, I, I don't operate like a BuzzFeed type website where I cover every topic under the sun. So I, I just like that flexibility. And that, that's an, one reason I love monetizing with display ads, because no matter what you publish, you can monetize it. You know, whereas if you promote affiliate products, generally, if you want to actually make sales, you got to publish specific types of content that's pre-selling it. And that's fine, but that gets kind of tedious as well. So, yeah, I guess I just, I just like the flexibility of, of much larger niches. I think narrow niche, I mean, I'm in narrow niches. I mean, I, I still, you know, help some law firms do some local marketing and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, that's very niche, of course, right? I mean very restricted as to what we publish about and how we go about that. And I still have a few very narrow niche websites that I keep going, but generally I enjoy the, the broader. I can see that. I can also see where that speaks to what keeps you motivated to keep you going forward with all of this. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
I guess what keeps me motivated is growing. I think with the broader niche site and monetizing with display ads, traffic is more revenue and that's growth. So more traffic equals growth. And if you're in a very specific niche, you're going to sort of hit that cap and you're going to be able to see it, right? Like, you know, if you're in something like, I think I recently published a post about this topic and the term bonsai trees. Now that that's, that's a niche. It's actually a, a big niche. There's lots of people in it, but it's quite specific about growing bonsai trees. And there's only so much content you can really publish about it. And so much, there's only going to be so much traffic really to that particular niche, although it is quite a bit you have to be really passionate about bonsai trees to really put together a really cool site about that. Whereas, you know, if you wanted to do something about gardening, which is a lot broader, I mean, how many topics are there related to gardening? Just much more, much broader. The potential traffic levels for gardening is almost unlimited. Um, so it's, it's enormous, right? So I kind of like the idea of when I'm starting it, sort of like, wow, I could potentially get 10 million visitors a month. Now I don't do that right now. But I like the I like the idea that there's this potential to get there. I, one of the things I like about the way you describe it is it, it speaks to the importance of of knowing yourself and knowing what you're interested in in order to drive what you want to do. I think that's really important because if you if you spend too much time reading what other people are doing, I read a bunch of people and I try to stay abreast of what's going on. But you can get sidetracked and do stuff that you don't really like doing because somebody else says it works or it works for them. You know, really question like what you're doing. Like, do you like it and are you good at it? Like, focus on your strengths. That's why I'm so keen on publishing lots of content because that's a strength of mine planning it, doing the research, planning it, lining it up, and then working with the writers. I mean, that's probably my biggest strength in this whole thing. I'm, I'm not the best social media marketer by any stretch. I'm certainly not the best person at SEO. I'm just good enough at those things to, to make them worth doing. But my strength is really teeing up a lot of content and publishing it day in and day out. And so that's what I focus on. And of course, I get sidetracked and distracted, but I really try to make that the focus. And that's why that's the first thing I do every day is to get those, get that content published the rest of the day, regardless what happens, at least I got that done. And I think enjoying the experimentation is an important part of it as well. I'm curious, if you were starting out now with nothing and just going to dive into this field, how would you start? Very simple. Here's the thing, because I, I actually coach quite a few people, and they're all starting more or less from scratch. When you're picking a niche and you want to be a niche publisher, you have to answer the question, can you publish really good content on the topic? Okay, that doesn't mean you have to necessarily write it. Do you have the resources to get the content to get people who can write on it, or can you write it on your own? Whatever. You have to be able to answer that question, because if you can put out really good content on whatever topic you want to cover, that's half the battle, and then, and then you can move forward. And you've got to be able to do it consistently. It's really important. So many people pick niches and don't think about the fact that you're going to have to come up with the good content. And, you know, the $10 for 500 words just not going to cut it these days. That was pre-Penguin when it was just content machines with terrible, terrible content. The content has to be liked by the people who are going to visit because they're going to share it. The social media is an important factor. Whatever you do, whatever topic you pursue, be you know certain that you're going to be able to publish consistently on it and publish really good content. If you can answer that, then it's just a matter of doing it. I think that that's a question not only of like passion, but also of the economics and the time involved in creating something like this. Starting from scratch, you have to generate that content and you have to have the resources to do that. 
Yeah, and don't have such high expectations. I talk today about publishing two, three, and sometimes more pieces of content a day. When I started, I was lucky to get two per week because I didn't have the image inventory that I have now. I, it was all new to me. It was Everything's new, right? You're going to be much slower. It's going to be a lot more difficult. So have low expectations, but just try to put out really good information or content or whatever it is you're doing every time you do it. You know, and think about whether you really want to be a niche there's a lot of things you can do online. This isn't the only type of online business. There's so much out there you can do. I mean, there's. I have colleagues who would never dream of doing this. It would bore them to tears. They're not interested. They do completely different things, you know, like own, own and sell software. You know, that's a great business. You don't really have to publish content. You have to come up with a really great piece of software that solves a problem and people like, and the job is selling it or you know, developing it and so forth. So there's lots you can do online if that's what you want to do. Absolutely. Have you done acquisitions as well? One. Yeah, that's a site. I think it was a little bit more optimistic than I expected. I was thinking I could manage, you know, building out two massive authority sites. I'm kicking it along, but I, I hope to be able to really devote more time to it and build that out as well. The site I bought was eight years old and I have lots of content on it, so it's it's already very well established. So it's a much easier. The, the first couple of years, well, I'd say the first year, 18 months, two years or so forth, it's a lot of heavy lifting to really get some momentum going. After that, it kind of just gets easier and easier and easier. But, you know, do, do check it out. You might find, like, you go to Flippo or Empire Flippers or something like that, and you might just find a two- or three-year-old website with some half-decent content on there. It may not be like a domain authority of 50, but it might be a domain authority of 20, and you might be able to get it for $800 or something like that, which is still a decent amount of money, but that might you know, save you a lot of time to really move the site forward. Although it sounds like the experience that you got from building up what you've built up and studying it in, in depth gave you the ability to really understand what you were buying when you bought that site. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no question. I, I knew exactly what to look for. I knew what I wanted to look for, and it was just a matter of finding it. Definitely, if you're going to buy a site, really be certain what you like. Know what you want to get, and know what your objective is with what you what you're buying and what you're looking for. Don't just sort of buy anything because the current owner is you know making X amount of dollars. And you know if it's something totally new for you, you know just think twice about it. Just you know know in advance really what you want out of buying a website and why you're buying it and what you're going to do with it. Again, it comes back to looking in the mirror and knowing who you are and what you want to do. Yeah. That's fantastic. So tell me, how can how can my listeners find you online? Well, I write at fatstacksblog.com. Really, that's where I'm at. I don't want to say it's a personal blog. It's more of my personal slash business website. So that's where I'm at. I've got a contact form, yeah, the usual Facebook and Twitter accounts connected. So that's where I can be reached. Fantastic. Well, John, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks a lot for having me. It was great. Great questions. I really appreciate it. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>